Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to John chapter 17. Let's think a bit more about this passage before we eat the supper together. John 17. This morning we'll look at verses 13 to 19. This week I was rummaging through some old cassette tapes looking for a Michael W. Smith uh, album from a young friend, Andrew. And uh, sure enough, I found one. And since I hadn't heard those songs since uh, Nathan was in high school a bunch of years ago, I put it on and listened for a while. And this particular tape is uh, Smitty's first big uh, crossover uh, hit, Place in the World. You've probably heard it. Uh, the course goes something like this. I'm looking for a reason roaming through the night to find my place in the world not a lot of not a lot to lean on i need your help your light to help me find my place in this world and the second verse reiterates the question if there are millions down on your knees among the many can you still hear me hear me asking where do i belong Is there a vision I can call my own? Show me. I'm looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find my place in the world. Not a lot to lean on. I need your light to help me find my place in this world. As Michael W. Smith wrote those words about about asking God to show us Where we fit, he probably had in mind a bunch of young people, you young people who are here, who are at a time in your life where you're really asking that question, where do I fit? It's a question everybody asks. Where do we fit? This morning I want to tell you that long before you ever prayed a prayer like that, or long before Michael W. Smith ever wrote a prayer like that, someone else prayed that we would understand our place in the world, that we would catch the vision of the place that God has for us here. I'm talking, of course, about Jesus and his prayer right here in John 17. In this passage we come to this morning, here he's praying just about that. And hopefully by listening carefully, we can understand what he has in store for us, what our role is to be, what our place is to be, in the middle of this world. Well, let me read it. Verse 13, Jesus is praying still. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they, that is the disciples, may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. 
This morning I want to consider the truth of this passage kind of in three stages that build on each other. The first is this, that God has claimed us for himself. God has claimed us for himself. You know, everyone wants to be special. Did you notice that? You want to be special, I'm sure. Uh, about a week ago, there were Valentine's cards and candy and flowers and stuff like that all over, saying to people, you are special. If you think it meant it was no big deal, just don't get the Valentine card sometime and you'll find out whether it is a big deal or not. It matters if someone, if you say to someone you're special to me that you follow through on that, that they really are special. Well, here we learn that in Jesus, God has made us special to him. God has claimed us for himself. Now, the key word for understanding this whole text and the word from which we get this idea of being special or being claimed by God is the word sanctify. Sanctify. It's used several times in this passage. In verse 17, Jesus uses it of his disciples. In verse 19, he uses it of himself. And then again of his disciples right at the very end, the very last word. I believe that that one word is the key to understanding this text. The word sanctify means to consecrate or to make holy. It comes from a Hebrew root word which means to separate or to set apart. So when we say that God is holy, when we acknowledge that God is holy, what are we saying? We're saying he's separate. He's not just one of us. He's separate. He is distinct. He is other, separate, distinct from all of his creation, from everyone and everything else. He's not, as kind of a lot of modern thinking would have, kind of the great spirit that kind of flows through and permeates all things. Oh, no. He's separate from all things. Transcendent is the technical word. And he's certainly separate from the sin that has invaded his creation. And so the angels continually cry, Holy, holy, holy is God. Totally other, totally separate, totally set apart from his creation, from sin, from everything less. But here Jesus is praying this for his own disciples, for us. He's not being that we would be gods, that we would be separate from the creation like he is, now, we're part of the creation. We are his creation. But he is indeed praying that we would be separate, set apart, separate from sin, like he is. Separate from the sin sinful system of the world around us, like he is. Separated, consecrated, set apart for God himself. You see, God has claimed us for himself. Back in the Old Testament, this is what God said to Jeremiah. As Jeremiah begins to tell his story in the very first chapter, he, he tells about it. He says, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, Jeremiah, I set you apart. Set you apart. That's that word sanctify. 
separate. Oh, but that special claim of God was not just a thing for Jeremiah or for the prophets of old. This is the normal reality for God's people today, for the church. In fact, do you know what the word church means? It's the Greek word ekklesia. It's actually two words squeezed together. Ek means out of, and ekklesia uh, uh, or uh, uh, kleo means to call. Church means the called out ones. The called out assembly, the called out body. The set apart ones. God has claimed us, called us out of the world, set us apart to belong to Him, to be sanctified. That's what it means, set apart. That's God's plan that's now fulfilled in Christ. He set us apart, like He told Jeremiah, before you were ever born, I knew you. I set you apart. And then in love, He sent His Son to give His life to pay for our sins, to pay the penalty, to remove the barrier between us and God. And now he sends his spirit to call us to himself, to say, abandon yourself, abandon your people, abandon this world, abandon your sin, abandon all other gods, all other allegiances, and come to me and trust yourself to me. I've chosen you for myself. I've claimed you. You belong to me. And so the spirit of Jesus then, as we come in faith, joins us to the body makes us connected to Christ, his called out people, Christ's ones, Christians. If that doesn't describe your personal experience, then something's wrong. This is what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to put your faith in Jesus. Apart from him, we're estranged from God. We're separated from God in Christ. We're separated from the world to God. He claims us for himself. So now how does it work out? Assuming that that's the case with us, how then do we live? Well, that brings us to the second level here of meaning, or, the, or to go on in the meaning. God has not only claimed us for himself, but now God distinguishes us by his word. God distinguishes us by his word. I mentioned before that everyone likes to be special. That's true. That's true when it comes to getting Valentine's. But when it comes to being different, being different than everybody else, then we're not so sure we want to be special. We kind of like to fit in, don't we? Well, God's plan for his special people is to also make them different. To distinguish us from the world around us. Specifically, to distinguish us by his word. That's what Jesus says in our text here in verse 14. I have given them your word. And then in verse 17, sanctify them, he prays. That is, set them apart, Father. Distinguish them, Father. Make them different, Father. Separate them, Father. By the truth, your word is truth. You see, here we learn from Jesus, as we hear him pray, how it is that God intends to distinguish us, to make us different from the world around us. And it's not what we might have thought. 
In fact, over the years, the church has concentrated a lot of effort on distinguishing itself from the world all in wrong directions. You see, Jesus did not say that we would be set apart from the world because we would speak a different language or have our own little cliches that we talk in and nobody else would quite understand what we say. Or that while everyone else speaks modern English, we would still speak 17th century English. No. He didn't say that we'll be distinguished that way. He does not say that we would be distinguished from the world and that we would all live in little Christian communities and little Christian neighborhoods or Christian towns or little Christian ghettos. No, he doesn't say that at all. He does not say that we would be distinguished from the world because we would wear different clothing. Like the Amish, that we would only wear black or that we would only ride in buggies or something. No, he doesn't say that there would be anything necessarily different about our clothing, our hairstyle. Or... No, none of those things. How does he distinguish his special people from the world? He says, well, you'll be distinguished by my word. What does that mean? What would that look like? Surely this is the most important thing that we have to think about this morning. What does it look like? If God is going to sanctify us, to separate us by his word, what does that mean? Does it mean we get the great big Bible, carry the big Bible around, everybody can see he's, he's the guy with the big Bible. Oh, he's different. There's that weird Christian again. I don't think so. Let me suggest a couple of things that it means to be distinguished by God's word of truth. It means that we have a different authority in our lives. In Romans chapter 1, we learn that the world is characterized by its persistent efforts to suppress God's truth. In other words, the people in the world around us are constantly finding ways, new and creative ways, to get out from under God's Word, to manipulate it, to distort it, to explain it away, to finesse our interpretation of it where it doesn't apply to us or where it doesn't say what it seems to say, to find some way to evade God's Word, suppress it, sweep it under the carpet, hide it away. That may be very blatant or it may look very innocent. It may be highly informed with scholarly precision or it may be ignorant and irrational, but it's, it's, it's all the same, and God calls it wickedness. He calls it rebellion against him, rebellion against the truth that he has seen fit to re reveal to us, but people don't want to have that authority. They don't want God telling them what to do and find a, some way to get rid of it. Well, but you see, Christ's disciples are exactly the opposite. We are to be distinguished from what the world is doing, suppressing God's, the authority of God's truth, for the disciples of Jesus readily accept the authority of God's truth. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. What does God say? It doesn't matter what all the psychologists and all the, all the uh, sociologists and all the anthropologists in the world say. What does God say? It doesn't matter what has always been done or what has never been done or what is guaranteed to work or what is guaranteed not to work or, or what the majority thinks or what the pollsters say. No, what does God say? That's what matters to God's people. 
We have a different authority at every single level of our life, a different authority than the world around us. We bow our knee to the truth, the word of God. Now, a lot of Christians claim that God's word is authoritative. I mean, almost the whole church says that. But folks, in much of the church, when you look at the practice, it's just not so. When push comes to shove, multitudes of decisions are made by Christians, by whole churches, not because God said so. In fact, sometimes in spite of what we agree that God said, but because something or someone else was considered to have more authority or to be more relevant to our situation or to be more up-to-date or more reliable or more comfortable or, 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 or more popular or more something. But God distinguishes his people by his word. The authority of his word. Oh, but it's not just a matter of authority. God's word distinguishes us because it permeates everything about us. Permeates everything about us. Not just the bottom line authority, but everything. You see, it is easy to simplistically think that what we're talking about is memorizing a lot of Bible verses. Now, I believe in memorizing Bible verses, but it's more than that. Or perhaps you might get the idea I'm talking about where you need to hear more sermons. Well, most of us do need to hear more sermons, but that's not really just what I'm talking about. What Jesus is talking about is his word so permeating us that everything about us, how we think, how we talk, how we make decisions, how we evaluate things, how we set priorities, everything about how we think and act is affected and changed and conformed to how God thinks, not how the world thinks. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about when he writes in Romans 12. Sets before us this choice. He says, do not be conformed to the world. Instead, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Renewing it on what? With God's word. You see, the influence of the world around us is like pollution in the air. We just breathe it in. It's coming into us all the time. We take it in without knowing it, and it poisons our mind. It changes our values. It distorts our affections. In short, to use Paul's term, it presses us into the mold to make us look just like the world looks. That's not an easy thing to fight. It's everywhere. So if we would be distinguished by God's word, then it must be permeating us, 
we must be breathing it in more powerfully, more persistently, more profoundly than we breathe in the stuff of the world around us. That means we must continually feed on it, chew on it, let it correct us, let it rebuke us, let it instruct us, let it change us, let it radicalize us, because it will. That means we have to be reading God's Word every day. That means we have to be, do some digging to understand. It's not easy to understand everything in God's Word. It means we have to reflect deeply on how it applies. It's not just a quick thought. It's to think about it, as David says, to meditate on it day and night. It means we may need to get some help. We may need to hear some sermons and have some Bible studies and talk to some wise, mature brothers and sisters. It means we need to pray about it. We need to talk to the Lord about it. We need to humble our proud hearts before God and ask Him to change us and tell Him we're willing to be changed, to change anything that needs changing. Then is when we will start to be distinguished by God's Word. There's no shortcut. It is a consuming task. thought about it the other night. Jane unthought a couple of steaks that we had saved for some special occasion. Now, they probably weren't the best cut of steaks, so she marinated them a bit before we cooked them, like for a day and a half. They sat there marinating in this stuff. And sure enough, when we cooked them, every bite of that had this flavor. That's kind of what God wants to do. He wants us constantly marinating <laughs> in His Word. Till every bit of us has the flavor of his word. Till every word that comes out of our mouth is like what God would say. Till every thought that goes through our head is the way that God thinks. Or as it was once said of a great statement about John Bunyan, prick him anywhere and he bleeds Bible. <laughs> Marinated in the truth for a whole life. Now once again, most... Christians would say a hearty amen to that. Boy, we want to be people of the book. But folks, look around. The church is not distinguished by how permeated we are with God's Word. It's not so. The church in our day is distinguished by how much we look just like the world. Same materialism, same love of wealth and power, same commitment to personal comfort, same definition of success, same hopes and dreams for our kids. They would make a lot of money, have a big house, and drive nice cars. Same fads, maybe a couple years after the world, but same fads. Same low view of marriage, same divorce rate, same premarital sex, same sex outside of marriage, same indifference to the poor, same indifference to everybody's needs except ourselves, same cynicism even toward the church, even toward God's truth, same individualism, everyone doing his own thing, doing whatever's right in his own eyes. Or the church may say the right words, but we are a long ways away from being distinguished by being a people of God's Word. Why, you think? 
Well, two things. One is because it's hard. That's why. It's hard. It's a consuming task. It's never finished. We're learners for the rest of our lives. Yesterday I went to a seminar up at Regent College about Christians in the marketplace, in the business world. What I noticed that is when the theorists or the theologians were talking about it, they had nice, neat little principles. Just apply these principles and do it. And then you got some guys who are the president of companies and who are out there trying to do it. <laughs> and it got a whole lot less cut and dry. It's hard. It's hard to be a people permeated with God's word and living it out and being distinguished by being godlike. Takes a whole lifetime. You never quite arrive. Takes everything we've got. It puts us on our face before God every day. It's so much easier to just go with the flow and compartmentalize our faith off for Sunday morning and then just live like the world. But God, Jesus prays that God would distinguish us, set us apart, make us different by his word. Second reason why it doesn't happen more, I think, is it's dangerous. It's dangerous. What Jesus says in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. You know, in our culture, there's quite a bit of tolerance. You could just believe anything. You could be, have the religion of uh, the Navy being or something. And people would say, oh, well, that's his thing, you know. Oh, but you start letting God's word have authority in your life. Give you a, diff give, give you a different agenda and let it start uh, affecting the way that you value what you value and what you don't value and how, what kind of priorities you set and how you think and what you do, how you make decisions, and you will encounter open hostility. And that's why Jesus prays, as we saw last week, Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but protect them. This morning I challenge us. I'd like to talk for another hour about this to challenge us. I think it's such a crucial thing to learn to be a people distinguished by God's Word. I don't mean the simplistic Bible thumping fundamentalism that some people have where you just glibly throw out a Bible verse for things. Most of us are not inclined to that. But neither do I mean the thing that many of us are inclined to, and that is to just adopt the ways of the world and kind of baptize it and somehow put a little Christian spin on it and act like that's a Christian thing. No, not that either. We have plenty of both of those. What I'm calling us to and what Jesus is praying for us is that our place in the world, our identity in the world, would be that we would walk a life of humble submission, of diligent attention, of fervent devotion to the Lord, not as we conceive of him in our minds, but as he shows us himself in his word. 
that day by day, line by line, verse by verse, he would change us, thoroughly change us, every inch of us, until at every level of our thinking, at every level of our emotions, at every level of our loves and hates, at every level of our reasoning, that we would be just like he is. That's our calling. God distinguishes us by his word. Oh, but then there's one more thing our text says. When we understand that God has claimed us for himself, and that what he wants for us is that we be distinguished, made different from the world by being a people permeated by his word, then we need to hear this last truth. God sends his holy separate people back into the world. God sends his people back into the world. Well, this isn't what we want to hear. Once we see how corrupting the world is, once we commit ourselves to be different and to really be permeated by God's word and to be out of step and accept the fact that we're going to be out of step with the world, then what we want to do is to get away from it, gather ourselves in our little Christian compound and enjoy being different. That's not God's agenda. He sends us back. He says it explicitly in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them. Perhaps even more pointed is the example of Jesus. In verse 19, Jesus says, I sanctify myself. In other words, I set myself apart. What does that mean? Jesus the Son, the perfectly holy one, was absolutely sanctified, was absolutely set apart from all of eternity. How is it possible that he should be set apart? In what sense? Well, he's about to go to the cross, that's what. He sets apart, he sets himself apart not from the pain of the world, not from his presence in the world. He sets his, himself apart to do the Father's word. Though it means his life. Here Jesus' mission is set before us and he says, and Father, as you sent me and I set myself apart to do what you sent me to do, now I send them back into the world, set apart, different to go like I've gone and be faithful, even if it costs their lives. That's what he's calling us to. Not just to be different, but to be set apart for mission. Sent back into the wicked world to be salt, to be light. We spoke of Jeremiah's call a few minutes ago. Well, this was also part of his calling. The word of the Lord came to me, he says, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. But then he continues, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah says, I don't know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go everywhere I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. I will rescue you declares the Lord. And in the same way, God sends us back 
into the world. This morning I recognize that this sounds rather hard and demanding. I expect that it's not, doesn't sound like such good news to everyone. Oh, but that's wrong. For in the very first verse here, verse 13, Jesus says, this is the way to joy. The way to joy. He says, Father, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still with them in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy. <laughs> joy. There's nobody so miserable as one who God has set apart for himself and is trying to live like the world. You're miserable. You'd be happier to turn your back on God and go live with the world. But you can't do that, see, because God's claimed you for himself. So the only way to joy is to give yourself to being thoroughly consumed, distinguished by his truth. And sent then as salt and light into the world. That's the way of joy. Or it may be a way of suffering. It may be a very costly way. That's the way of joy. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for your truth. Oh, Father, I don't know quite how that's going to look in every one of our lives. But I pray that you would make it true, that you would make it real. I pray, Father, that at every level of our being, that you would set us apart for yourself.